Hi everyone, Robbie here from Palmbase News. We're here with the wonderful Ivana Lynch, actress, vegan activist, and podcaster. Welcome, Ivana. Ooh, hi, happy to be here. Thanks, Robbie. So let's kick things off with talking about what you're most passionate about. For sure. Um, well, I would say art is my number one passion. Definitely acting. It's something I've just always done since I was a kid. And it was something like I was really shy when I was younger, but I so wanted to be able to express myself. And I found like acting was the thing that kind of unlocked that. Playing other characters, I didn't feel so self-conscious. I felt a lot freer. Um, and for me, story is the most powerful thing and powerful tool in the world to like change people's minds, open people's hearts. Like you know and I, I think about this a lot in my veganism because I know I know of people whose minds are changed but with facts alone but for me that's never been it it's always been an experience or a story that moves me like a story about an animal or um just yeah something like that so storytelling in any form will always be my number one passion and um and I prefer acting I like writing as well but I find it so solitary <laughs> I like you know the great thing about acting is that it's a it's collaborative art you cannot make a project without so many different artists voices um and then yeah sort of my stay sane job is podcasting now because um when you're not acting when you're between jobs which can go on for a long time you tend to get very lonely and your world gets very small so I've always been an animal lover and um been vegetarian since I was 11 vegan about five years and as I started speaking about this in the media, I started like getting requests to do these kinds of interviews and I would meet the most amazing people who have so much knowledge, you know, like 30 year plus vegans and I'd be like, I want to plow your mind, I want to ask you all the questions and that's kind of how the podcast started because I was like, I've got this, like, I'm in this great position where I have all the contacts and I just want to be able to facilitate, you know, telling these people's stories, so... They remain two things. So the Peeps podcast, um, where did the idea come from? How did it, tell us, talk us through how that was born. Yeah, so I listened to a podcast called Main Street Vegan, you know, Victoria Moran. I love her so much. And um, it was the thing that really helped me in my transition to going vegan. Um, because I found her so positive and nice. And she, she really focused on what she loved about the lifestyle. And she, you know, every week she had a new vegan person and she made it seem really normal whereas to me I'd always seen it as really obscure and radical and these people were a bit crazy um and perfectionist it was things that didn't resonate with me like perfectionism that they would like you know all focus on the violence of why and like that stuff is important but it didn't help me go vegan um whereas her podcast did it was so um she talks about attractivism and it's a, co- a concept we really adopted on the podcast on chickpea what was that attractivism okay. so rather than like you know telling people your views or approaching them and kind of entering their space you just kind of embody the values and it's about like living your best living life by living by example yeah exactly very just like positive positive and um Anyway, I, was, I would listen to her podcast and I would learn so much and I loved that weekly check-in with a vegan community, which I didn't have at the time. I wasn't very outspoken about my veganism and I didn't really know many people in real life. And I was like, it, it was such a revelation. Like, it gave me a sense of community. It made me feel like, you know, when somebody else is echoing something you believe, it makes you believe it harder for some reason. It makes you more committed to it. And so I realized, I was like, I would like, I would like to do something like this, but her podcast was kind of, it's kind of for like, established vegans long-term vegans they talk about all these you know really niche aspects of veganism um and I was like 
you know, I, at the same time, I would be talking about this stuff online and people would be asking me like real basic questions. And I was like, okay, I think we need a vegan podcast for like newbies or people who are scared of veganism, but are curious. Like we need it for vegetarians. We need it for animal lovers, people who are intimidated by veganism, but want to ask the questions and they feel welcome and included. And so, yeah, it's very much an attractivist podcast. And we, we talk about the basics. We try to not assume that people know anything, you know? Um, and that's what we've done so far. We have 25 episodes today and we, um, we kind of have done it. We've done it a topic-based episode each week. So like, you know, eggs or milk or, um, pets, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So. And you've got lots of co-hosts that you work with. Um, tell us about them. I love them so much. Um, I could not do this podcast. You, you know, it's so much work. People don't realize how much podcasting, how much work podcasting is. Um, but I knew I wanted to have like different kind of voices because, you know, there are so many different kind of vegans and they resonate with different people. Um, so, and it all just came together. I met Tyler Starr first. He is, um, he worked for PETA in the US and California and he ran a Harry Potter rights, Harry Potter animal rights charity. Um, and so he has that same, you know, love for stories and, um, activism through art, through story. But he also had the, the huge expertise from working at PETA and, and understanding that. And I just found him so lovely and positive and he always explain so many issues to me you know like even things like backyard hens I was like I don't get why does that why does that suck as a vegan he would explain things like that to me and um and then Momo lovely Momoko um I met through my cousin my cousin works for Hay House you know the publishing company spiritual book company and so my cousin she knows a lot of people in the spiritual world who are into this stuff and she was like okay you need to meet this this girl she's woman we got told off by uh, Sean. I've been told off lots of times for that. And I've actually been having to edit my language. And it's interesting talking about yeah. gender and how and we can talk about it later, the importance of, of words and how we describe things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's funny because I quite like the term girl. But I think that's weird. It's my resistance. Like, I freak out when people call me a woman. I remember I used to, when people do intros for me at conventions or interviews and they'd say woman and i'd be like no i would shrink into myself but it it does it make you when you embrace that term yeah no thanks (laughs) but like it makes you embrace that term of being like okay i'm a woman it's interesting your reaction to the word model though is that is that kind of part of your because obviously you know you've talked about being shy and stuff in the past does model kind of to you symbolize and we don't have to put this on the podcast but does that symbolize because modeling in a way symbolizes that kind of um what's the word a character that wants to be seen wants to be it's not even that it's that i think it's it's just a superficial industry that i don't really approve of and i get why it's there i get what's important but for me like growing up as a young person i'm so against women getting their sense of value their sense of worth from their image alone so i get like i love beauty i love celebrating the aesthetic side of things i'm so passionate about that but i just hate when girls reduce themselves to that when they define their worth by how they look and the modeling industry is so much that it's about you know your stats and all just the numbers and not to mention all the fur abuse and leather use yeah it's so vapid and so it doesn't give a damn about anything but how things look so i think i resist that term because me i think probably 
you know, younger me, teenage me would be flattered by that, would be like, oh, somebody thinks I'm attractive and they want to sell clothes with my face. And it's like, I hate that. I resist that. I'm like, no, you are so much more than your face and your looks. And it's just a slippery slope, I think, with those things. If, if women start to, like, I notice this, if like, you know, even the fact that in, so in my dating life, if a guy tells me I'm attractive, I'm like, oh really you know i'm like flattered and i'm like interested i'm like oh tell me more it's like i hate yes but but it's not it's so not the most important thing i'm i have and i actually a few about a decade ago jake your did an amazing blog post about that of um the compliments and the insults that women throw at each other saying that why is being fat the worst thing why is being like unattractive the worst thing why is it not like being rude or being cowardly or being i don't know just uh, there are so much worse things than having a bad hair day <laughs> so um and i love that and she she said this is just this beautiful post saying i want people to say my daughters are brave and strong and intelligent i don't want it to be she's a beautiful young girl like and i, I feel like women are just brought up to be like yeah, be pretty, and that's such a that's like the baseline we have to be. And you can get consumed by it. You can spend your whole life trying to perfect and be better and better physically, and it's very limiting. It's true. We t- talked about this issue of gender with Tim Sheaf on our last podcast, and Tim and I talked about how you know men are kind of crowbarred into these boxes, yeah. and it has a detriment and negative effect on their mental health but young women are the same women are the same you know you have all these expectations placed on you as people and you have to kind of fit into these ideals and then being born and existing in the western world where you have these impossible ideals these airbrushed photoshopped ideals around you constantly mm-hmm. that has again has this knock-on effect and then there's tv and the media and you know people are always being expected to be something um obviously we can talk we could actually have a whole podcast talking about gender because it's really i'm really passionate about it especially since i've you know explored the life of 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 what it means to be a man or a woman yeah but i love all that stuff i love also talking about like sexual polarity like that the how you know having masculine and feminine traits and how different people bring that out in you you know this my last TMI but like my last boyfriend really brought out the masculine me where I was like I'm feminine I'm a very ladylike lady and I was just like so shocked by it but it's nice to kind of meet those different parts of yourself through other people yeah relationships are a mirror aren't they and when we spend time with people who are in our space 24 7 you know parts of us come out that we don't necessarily like or parts of us ourselves that we do like that we want to nurture and and show the world more and, and partners do that for us um Let's talk about spirituality and religion. Um, growing up, how did spirituality and religion feature in your life? And how's it informed you as a person? Yeah. Um, so growing up, religion was not a positive thing for me. It was Christian, well, uh, Catholicism. Grew up in Ireland. Um, my, my, th- like my dad very much like believed in it. He actually trained as a priest for seven years before he realized he wants to have a family. Um, but he goes to, he would go to church every day. I mean, every, not every day, every week. And that was part of it. And, but at the same time, we grew up with these values, but I didn't ever feel like my, like my mom especially really believed all this stuff. But I just saw religion as rules and shame and they ruled with shame and guilt. Like those were the motivations. And that's why I think now, 
in terms of vegan activism, that stuff doesn't work on me. I'm so resistant to it. I so feel shut down by it um, because the negative critical voice in my head is very much really like trying to make me do things with shame um so and it just like there were so many things you know um I saw how they they treated um gay people and they talked about it and I even just saw like my my parents who are very loving accepting people they would feel anxious around gay people because and it's and I was like it's not them that's not what they believe but they've been brought up in um a, a religion that says that's not okay and that's weird and it's just yeah it was antithetical to all I felt that they embraced and all I felt that they espoused um and even like yeah in in our in our family we never talked about like sexuality or anything it just wasn't on the table it just it wasn't even something that was like naughty to talk about we just pretended it didn't exist (laughs) like and I've talked to my siblings in recent years because as a child you don't realize that that stuff is happening to you that that there's these kind of damaging ideas that your sexuality is so shameful and and who you are whatever you believe all that um but we've all been like yeah we're really shut down we're really repressed in that way from this religious upbringing which wasn't it, it was just it was just a mentality it was like it's an irish sensibility of like you should be ashamed. Oh, you shouldn't want too much of life. Oh, you should suffer. And I, I've, I struggled with that in my career, like accepting that I wanted to be an actor because I very much felt I'm enjoying this too much. I love my work. Whereas my parents would be very much like, you know, they will, they love their work, their teachers, but they will also complain and they'll talk about how hard it is. And most of the time when I call my mom, like it's a list of the ailments that are, that are circling in the family. Whereas I'm like, I had a great day. I was on set. I did it. And it's just, and I think living in, in that household, in that environment, I start to feel really guilty about what I want to do. And I start to like, even now when people say, if I have a day you know, I'm not working and I have a day off and people say, oh, what do you do today? I, my mind goes to uh, all the things that I suffered through today and I need to tell them that. I don't say like, I had a great day, I went to the spa, I got my nails. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so much, your self-worth is defined by how much you suffer. It's weird. Which is what a lot of religions are founded on, that yeah. life is suffering. Even Buddhism, even though Buddhism, I'm Buddhist and, you know, the Buddha talks about how life is suffering. But it's all about how you view it, I think. You know, we've heard the expression, no mud, no lotus. That through the the mud in the bottom of the of the swamp, the lotus sustains its beauty, right. um, and that's kind of a symbol for human life. And I think it's all about like how we deal with these sufferings rather than kind of letting them consume us. Right. Um, <clears throat> but religion and spirituality obviously are condi- totally different. They're different, and but they're also can they're kind of a set of beliefs, aren't they? A belief system. Um, leads me on to kind of the belief system of what Dr. Melanie Joy calls carnism slash veganism. These two count, these two kind of cultures that exist in the world today. Carnism being the dominant culture in the world, which says eating animals and killing animals and exploiting animals is normal, needed, and necessary. Um, and like religion, you know, you're given this as a child. Yeah. You're told that this is normal, this is needed, this is necessary, and you have to do this. Yeah. And this is what we do: we kill baby lambs, we eat chickens, we eat, we eat eggs. Like these are just things that humans do, and just accept it and as a child this was in your life you know from I assume early on this was a part of your world how did you change through that and how did it how did it shift for you yeah I love Melanie Joy for starters like I love how she explained that the psychology of it um um I I I, 
I mean, it, it's funny because when I when I kind of went vegetarian and then vegan, probably like a decade later, I felt really betrayed by that, by the whole Karna's um, mindset that my parents, they, and my parents are wonderful people, and I see it like this is all an evolution. We've, we've, you know, we we all have our moments of awakening, um, but they always taught us kindness and love and respect for animals and my dad did this thing of like you know he'd work in the field and he'd find a little a little baby leveret a hare um hare baby isn't that the name leveret they call them leverets and and he would take it in and we would nurse it we would all forget our whole lives for a few days and circle it around nursing this hair back to health and and at the same time yeah they they didn't teach me about vegetarianism or veganism and I really I went through a phase of being angry at my parents of being like how could you mislead me this way how could you not like talk about you know you talk about education but you've hidden this massive part of our our lives from from me but it goes back to like what you were saying about religion you know we're given these things these belief systems as children whether it's religion whether it's carnism whether it's veganism whatever it is and we accept them because we accept our parents we trust our parents um but then they did that with their parents and their parents did it with their parents there's this this, yeah but it's a conduct but brainwashing i think implies that there's an insidious kind of desire behind it whereas i think it's just something we pass no, to each other from from generation right, to generation right yeah 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 you know what you I mean? know, yeah you're right More apathy. so so there's an, an amazing social experiment that's been going around for years on, on facebook a young woman walks into um into a waiting room and she sits down there's a whole bunch of people sitting there and there's a beep beep and all the people around her stand up and sit down and she looks around and she thinks what's going on Beep goes again, and they all stand up and sit down. And yeah. she and she says to a guy next to her, "Why is why who why do we why we're we doing this?" He's like, "I don't know. Everyone's doing it." And then it beeps again, and she stands up and sits down with them. Eventually, everyone, the actors in the room, all move into the other space, and she's still in there alone. And new people come in, fresh people who are just off the street, normal people, yeah. who are not actors. And the beep goes on and off, and she goes up and sits down, and they all begin to do it up, up down, sit down, up down stand up sit down and before you know it an entire fresh group of people are in there and they're all doing it standing right. up and sitting down when the beep goes it's on it's because you're, you know what it's because we all want to fit in right because right. we all want a sense of belonging right. and we like i like that i think there's something beautiful yeah. about that that we want to belong and i'll be have something common it's our superpower and we can yeah. use it for good as well as bad yeah it's so true yeah <laughs> and so that's I, yeah that's a really good so that's how I see religion or uh, veganism or carnism or any of these sort of belief systems. You take them on and if enough people around you are doing yeah. them, you'll feel more inclined to want to do it. Yeah. And this is why. I- but I really wish that parents would pay more attention to children. I strongly believe that like we're all born vegan. We all have that sensibility. We all want to. And I actually, it was so interesting the other day. Um, I was talking to my mom. It's funny. These stories come up later, years later. Um we were we were talking I don't know what we were talking about but she mentioned that um she was like oh yeah as a child I found it really difficult to go to the supermarket with you because you would always start crying when we go down the meat aisle and I was like what what I'd never heard this I was like what are you talking about and and she was like yeah yeah you got really upset by raw meat and anything so we couldn't go in there and she was like none of the other because I have three siblings they didn't do that and and I was like so what did you do and she was like oh I just made sure to protect you from those aisles and from seeing that and she was like I would I would make sure to protect you when we had meat in the house and raw meat before it was cooked and it was like what you protected me from like my my truth my authenticity my natural instinct rather than being like 
and you know, I think it's my, like, you have to cut these, I cut my mom slack because it's like, she had four young children and she was a teacher and she had a crazy busy life and to, to kind of open her mind to be like, oh, my daughter is, my six-year-old thinks that we shouldn't eat animals. It's like radical. <laughs> it's like, she just didn't, she didn't have anyone guiding her. She didn't have anyone showing her that it wasn't a weird thing that it could be, she could embrace that. Um, but yeah, I really wish people would pay attention to children because I think so, and we see them, you see so, I, I don't know if you've noticed that like over the years so many videos of young children like crying and making a statement about animals being killed uh, I just think it's definitely our nature not not to have this kind of violence and um, that's why I so believe in education I hate when people say that they protect their children like you know they, they, uh, a few years back there was a story of like a school teacher killed um, a rabbit in front of his, his students and got they got so many complaints I think the teacher ended up getting fired but I'm like no that's that's so important like yes it's traumatic but yeah you're you're feeding them the result of this kind of trauma of this kind of violence so why are you hiding it from it's a self-perpetuating thing I think like the girl standing up and sitting down and the beeping it just goes on generation after generation and people don't question it yeah um so let's talk a bit about like activism um you've described yourself and mentioned in interviews i've heard saying you know your shyness and as a person else you just talked about your childhood as well how do you overcome that and how how have you overcome it as a person because there's so many people out there men and women you know younger people who who are so passionate about this message and talking about animal rights and the environment but don't have their voice and they're afraid to speak up how how do you find that courage right um definitely took me a while because I I was very anxious of like people not accepting me for it um I do that often like no it's it's so not the same thing but you, you have a vegan coming out like like you know people come out with their sexuality you do yeah. you have to be like oh this is a part of me that I can't hide anymore and, and I'm proud of actually I came but, out twice gay and vegan <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that's a lot <laughs> but uh, and I don't know I think I think it, for me the, the thing was I think education I think the more you read the more you educate yourself the more you're like I so passionately believe in this that I I don't I can't hide it anymore because like at first I would you know tentatively being vegan and I would believe it but then somebody else would give me a counter argument and then I'd be like oh yeah you're right you know and I would stop but then I'd read something else and it would wake me up again and I kept having those 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 moments of being like yeah reading and that was the good thing I always would go back to it I would find a new documentary I would find a new book and I'd be like oh, I'll, I'll check it out and I would come out like you know you, you watch those documentaries and you're suddenly a militant vegan and you're furious and you just want to start a revolution so I would say yeah to find your courage to find your voice it's just about really educating yourself and flooding yourself with those sources and a key thing for me it sounds silly but like even so on my social media on like twitter instagram facebook i followed everything basically that had the word vegan in it i just followed them all <laughs> and i um because i wanted to make it my norm i want soak it all up yeah <laughs> and i wanted to see people living vegan and it just being life mm-hmm. it's not vegan life it's just life yeah yeah yeah. and seeing that every day seeing these people who I admired so much it gave me yeah it gave me courage to to be more vocal about it and 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 even now like when I speak about something it's hard to believe but like I did a post about um the the, the, there's the fur ban going on in Britain at the moment and there are people arguing against that it's like crazy but there'll be some things where they're like more niche issues and I'll I'll talk about it Mm. Uh, so, so say for example if I post about PETA because mm-hmm. 
PETA has a lot of enemies, but a lot of people disapprove of them. And we talk about this a lot on the podcast. Um, that's one thing where I can't even go on the comments for that because I will get upset. Yeah. I will get infuriated. I will probably start crying. So one of our co-hosts, um, our Robbie, he loves arguing. He loves an argument. He loves winning. He's very good with facts <laughs> and just building debates. So I I'm usually... Like to my heart. Right, okay. It's good. I'm glad. I'm so grateful there is those people. So I usually say to Robbie, I'm like these people are being mean can you go talk to them and he does it's great yeah. but i i definitely am careful about protecting myself because if i if i threw myself too much into those uh, metaphorical trenches i would be put off by veganism because i don't like arguing i don't like confrontation i just like focusing on the positive side of it it's very difficult because we're dealing with um behavior so i've talked a lot about this in the past with my friends and very fellow activists about how we come at this problem yeah. with 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 Carnism being this dominant ideology and you know social justice movements throughout the ages have used specific tactics and techniques to be heard women's rights you know the suffragettes movement they had to be aggressive and they had to use a bit of violence to get people to listen because otherwise they would have just been told and they were told sit, sit down be quiet you're just yeah. a woman you don't know what you're talking about right. you can't vote you can't drive you can't do this you can't do that we're men just listen to us and they had to push through and they had to use aggression in this way, right? Yeah. And other movements, you know, Black Lives Matter have had to kind of have their voices heard by by creating a bit of strong emotion around the topic because otherwise people just don't listen. But when it comes to veganism, you know, this behavior, the carnism, intersects all people of all cultures and all colors across the entire planet. And you can't cut into that behavior with aggression, with violence, with with um with shame you know i saw an image today of a, a, a little family butchery up north with s spray paint all over it stop murdering the animals go vegan Ooh. now from our perspective as vegans we consider animals individuals and that killing of animals in a way to us it feels like a murder a murder yeah. of an individual that's our reality and our framing of a situation. To the people in the butchery shop who've probably been doing that for generations, they don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. They don't understand it. Whether it's right or wrong is irrelevant. The point is, is that how you go and advocate to those people, how you get them to understand is very important. And spraying, shaming them by spraying this word, the words across the, the front of their shop how how many people do you think are, are going to go vegan from seeing that and respond to that and that's why like the message and how you interact with people is so vital now what what's what's interesting about this is that a lot of people believe that that action could end up turning more people away than getting people to go vegan yeah. you might get one person that considers it might see the word vegan and might go look it up and maybe they might go vegan so the message is so important and i think this is where we're talking about like shyness and emotion and kind of like you know being afraid of speaking up and finding your voice you have to find that conviction don't you you have right. to find that inner voice and really believe in what you're doing yeah because if you don't then it's very easy for people to just Knock you over, yeah. be quiet sit down your vegans are crazy because there's it's an old tactic on social media where you start to talk about something you're passionate about and people come in and cut you off and say you know you're a militant or mm. you um you're obsessed or this is like a religion yeah i think those things like i think they absolutely should be expressed we're talking to earthling ed about this on the podcast of how that thing to want to spray paint a butcher shop and and like make a splash that's almost a more truthful reaction because I, I was thinking like say if it was my cat or say if it was my 
a family member who was that was being done because you know vegans yeah. they think we think animals and people are equal the right to life is right. equal if it was my family was in that system if it was somebody i loved there was nothing i wouldn't do like i would burn down buildings yeah. i would be furious i would like because love love drives you to do that and it's not it's not okay that that's been ignored so i think like yeah as i say i think that's the most truthful reaction and i kind of and on, on one hand i admire those people because i'm like they're not afraid to like take take this on and to, stand, yeah. well they're not as afraid to dwell in that space of truth of like the fact that you know right this minute there are tons of animals throats being slit like because we have to we have to disassociate in order to stay sane and to enjoy our lives we have to kind of disconnect from it but i think for me the the the, the veganism is synonymous with compassion and you have to have compassion as you say for where everyone's at and you have to remember like i don't know your journey but like i definitely started out not having that connection to animals not seeing it as like just being told oh no these animals were meant for food god meant them for food and that's what they're here for and so it being like okay you just accept it and so you have to i think the best the, the way i do it is the way i do my activism is it's as if i'm talking to my pre-vegan self because i know because because i know she wasn't a bad person i know she wasn't an ignorant person you know she didn't consider herself ignorant i know she wasn't uh, careless or, or cruel because that that thing that thing of spray painting a shop it's really pointing the finger you you guys suck you're you're all these bad things and 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 you, as you say nobody responds to shame when when somebody else makes you feel bad you want to walk away from them and that means you also want to walk away from their message because and and that means you associate their message with all these these feelings of guilt and shame and you get defensive and your way of getting defensive is by saying this person is crazy this message is radical so i think it's so much about connecting to who you were before you were vegan and speaking to that person and what did that person need to hear to go vegan absolutely what what is very important from from my perspective as an advocate is to is and also the kind of pragmatist as well is to help people understand why these places exist yeah why do butcheries exist how do they get there why do dairy farms exist how did they get there why is the meat aisle there and how did it get there? Should we be placing our attention on these places or should we be placing all our attention on the consumer? Mm. Supply and demand, demand and supply. How do they interrelate, right? A butchery is only there because there's a demand for it in that yeah. village. The consumer in that village, that average person who's probably not a bad person, they're not murderers, they're not evil people, they're just in this carnistic system where they've been mm. taught eating animals is normal it's needed and it's necessary and they go to the butchery every day to get their bacon and to get their eggs and they believe that that's just a normal part of life yeah. what would be more effective to spray paint the butchery animal stop murdering animals or go out into the village and advocate directly to the consumers talk to them about alternatives get them to get off dairy open up a vegan butcher shop, a vegan butcher shop. Yeah. what is going to get people to change make it easy make it convenient, make it affordable, make it tasty, yeah. and people switch in their thousands. And it's happening, and that's the thing. But there's this other voice within the vegan movement, this angry voice, which is understandable, as you said. They're in, we're in pain, we're traumatized. Dr. Melanie Joy talks about second-degree trauma. We come into this world, we realize that our species are violent, aggressive, destructive, and we think, my whole life I've been part of this violent system when you, when you do something physical, direct action is very physical, isn't it? Mm. You're out there, you're spray painting, you're blocking, you're doing a dye and you're doing something. You're raising, a, you're raising awareness of this situation. And it's good because it does 
bring attention to it. But I personally, this is my own personal belief, um, and not the views of plant-based news, <laughs> is is that you know these these views, these this these kind of very angry, emotive kind of actions yeah. can have damaging effects on the on the on the the movement as a whole right. because it because what do we want? We want people to join our club, yeah. join our crew, join our team, right? We want less people to eat animals. What's the best way to do that? Make it cool, make it sexy, make it hip, make it trendy, yeah. make it fun, make it interesting, make it tasty. Yeah. You know, people don't want to join a club of people that are angry, bitter, misanthropic, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that, and it's hard because I wake up every day and I see, I get emails every day from people with all the violence that goes on towards animals. And it's hard to remain positive yeah. and see that human beings are capable of love and compassion. So yeah. I know. And I, I, I totally get you. But I think, like, I always have to come back to the root of all the things that we do, even the evil things, is love. Like, right. like dairy farms. Because I've met a few farmers um, met the, through, I was working with Compassion World Farming, met some farmers there who have, like, um, a factory farm for chickens. Mm. And, like, they're not bad people. That's the thing. You meet these people, and they're always nice. And I recently went to India, and I was working with, um, I was working doing undercover investigations on elephants. And again, the mahouts are nice people, but they're poor people, and they they don't have much education. They don't have privilege. They all they know in an expert way is how to train an elephant. And yeah, it's brutal and it's horrible. But these are nice. And it was I had this weird situation where I was like, the, the guy that he didn't know was the work I was doing of course we were pretending to be tourists and he brought me over and he was like really trying to make me happy by making the elephant do tricks and of course I knew this elephant is super, is traumatized the reason that it's laying down and standing up and doing all these things is because it's it's afraid of pain it doesn't want to be beaten and it has had all it has had such brutal beatings in its past that makes it do this and it was just like but this man is trying to make me happy he thinks I'm just a simple western tourist who wants to see elephants and it was just like it was such a weird thing because it was like that that's at the root of all people they want they it's love and like the farmers who have these chicken farms in arkansas where i was they have like five generations of chicken farmers and that's their identity and that's their sense of purpose and that's their mission in the world and that's why i really love ciwf's work like they're not a vegan organization but they're and they're they're very much like animal welfare rather than animal rights but they're working with these people and i think that's the problem with the vegan movement this antagonism this us against them because it's just there's a lack of understanding there's a lack of communication like whereas people people want to inherently they all want to feel like they're doing good and the chicken farmers feel like they're doing good they feel like they're feeding people yeah and they feel and if you do things like what ciwf do if they're like okay there are ways you can do this which are kinder to chickens we can make them free range we can open the doors we can just small little things if you can make them feel good about what they're doing and like feel like it's a collaboration and we're all friends that is so much more positive yeah it's so much more effective and actually Actually, um, what's his name? Um, so we interviewed Kip and Keegan from Cowspiracy on our podcast recently, and they were talking about Leonardo DiCaprio and how he's not vegan, and they were saying that like you know vegans love to point the finger and get angry at him, but he and whether he's vegan or not, they actually said they don't know, um, but he through his actions through his work, he's made thousands of people vegan by by making by using what he had you know the resources the money to get cowspiracy into the world into the right people's hands rather than i i just feel like you can be a perfect vegan who points the finger and tells people what not to do or you can just be effective and inclusive and try and advance the movement 
Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. I always say to people, you know, spend more time working on yourself because that's, you know, all that time you can spend criticizing other people. You could be spending it on advocacy and, you know, animals are being brutalized. Like, stop wasting time criticizing your peers. Yeah. Put your energy into into your advocacy 100 percent. yeah totally but i do also think sorry another yeah, point but i think like it's important for vegans to be able to express their anger frustration their absolutely. pain and there are totally like communities for that there are accounts and you know like i love following vegan sidekick i think he's hilarious he's and great. i love that he mocks people's hypocrisy and their blindness but i would never personally i wouldn't share that pu- publicly because it would make people get defensive and yeah you're calling them ignorant and and yeah hypocritical it's like the phrase meat is murder yeah uh, if you stood in the street with a placard that said meat is murder as i said before that may be our reality yeah. and the way we see the world but when you stand in the street and now you have that on your sign you're essentially calling people who eat meat murderers do right nobody wants to be called a murderer and that may be the case for us and we understand it because we've made that connection yeah. but most people can't and they and they haven't like most of us who were not born vegan we didn't understand and we didn't see it until someone showed us a film gave us a book said something that made that connection we witnessed an animal being killed like myself um on, on my street i um my neighbor's beautiful white persian cat was killed by the next door neighbor she ran it ran it over and it was lying on the street dying a massive pool of red blood oh and you know and and i kind of went over to it and picked it up and it was dying in my hands and and i had you know i've eaten meat my whole life and i'd grown up on a farm and i've killed animals myself and before i always thought i was a good person but in that moment as that animal died in my hands it looked up at me in fear i had this religious moment where i switched places with it and the blood was my blood the skin was my skin the hair was my hair not to get all cliche on you but i felt its pain and it died in my hands as you know as i held it and in that moment i vowed never to be involved in killing an animal again because in a way i kind of had that heart-to-heart connection with that creature yeah and and it was in an instant and for five in the last five years i've never touched another piece of meat or animal product you know at all see it was that compassion that's what the movement has to be about feeling each other's pain yeah Yeah. um nathan runkle talked about this you know his book mercy Mm -hmm. ronald's book very it's oh it's so good it's a brilliant book yeah he talks about how the experience of pain he had one experience where he was beaten up because of being gay and being growing up where that wasn't accepted um and he said the experience of physical pain how gut-wrenching and all-consuming it was made him have a deeper empathy for animals and what they go through because pain is just universal and and it's and it can it can drive change as well can't it yeah that's the thing right so a whole bunch of questions from people on our page because i said you know i'm meeting you and it has anyone got any questions so let's have a look through let's see Star and Waves asks, and she has two questions. What's the best time or place to approach the topic? Obviously, veganism. Meal times seem the most obvious and convenient, but also when you'll meet the most resistance because people are obviously hungry and their food choices are already on their plate. Right, right, right. And the second question was, what's the most effective method to plant the seed of veganism without overwhelming people? Mm, good, really good questions. Um, this is why I have a podcast because I don't know. <laughs> um, um, the best time, I agree with you that it's definitely not at meal times. That's already been done and you'll just make people feel bad about themselves. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think about my mum. Um, so I love the way 
lovely Momo does it, um, my co-host on the podcast, that, that, um, she does, like, potlucks, and, like, has, um, like, just brings that sense of being community together, I think it's so lovely to, um, every now and then have some vegan have some non-vegan friends over and just cook all vegan and don't I never understand vegans who cook non-vegan food for their friends it's like bizarre to me so just yeah cook all vegan and don't say anything about it and maybe they'll bring it up there um because I I found that with my mom that's how she opened up to it it like it wasn't through my activism and my post it was she came to visit me I was living in LA and this has been like you know I've been away from home a few years and I learned to cook in that time. I'd learned to cook a lot of good foods. And I cooked for her, which I'd never done. Like, it'd always been the opposite way. It'd been my mom cooking for me. And she was so, um, it totally opened her eyes to it. And she started asking questions then. So, probably that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Where, where you open the conversation. I For me, I couldn't really do it. Like, the way earthling ed does it where he actually approaches people strangers i would maybe i would i don't feel too nervous though but um i'm trying to think who else i've convinced god it's it's such it's such a like a momentary decision though as well because say with robbie my co-host um (laughs) i got very aggressive with him i was reading eating animals and i was so upset by it such a like it's a visceral book you know it brings you through all the experiences that animals go through and i was so upset and i would read him passages and he would present arguments to it and i just this I got, is pre-vegan. He was yeah i got very fed up and i started calling him a hypocrite and a coward and like explaining <laughs> why so i don't know there's no there's no right answer to it you really have to feel it out and f- feel the moment and who you're speaking to mm-hmm. yeah and the second question which was about um what where, where to begin with the conversation at all like where, what do you recommend you start talking about because obviously there's a lot to learn and it can overwhelm people yeah um where do you begin you should you give people a film or something or Oh, documentaries, yeah, yeah. Well, I actually usually say Eating Animals, the book, because I find that it's not just information-packed. And the it, for me, as I, as I mentioned earlier, story is the most effective tool. And he talks so much about, like, our sentimental relationship with food um, and our cultural traditions and how our food choices is part of our identity and feels like a part of us. And so to tear that all up and change it all is is just yeah it's a big shock to the system to your life and it's a big assault on your identity so i love that he approaches it in such a human way so i always recommend them that book Um, animals for the benefit of the listeners eating animals by by jonathan saffron for yes and he's like a journalist and he so basically he was not vegan or vegetarian but he dabbled in it he kind of had the suspicion that it was the right thing to do and then his um his wife got pregnant and he realized he didn't want to be feeding his child um the animals unless he knew where it was from and unless he knew all the backstory of it so he went on this investigation he went to all these factory farms he went undercover and he wanted to find out about it and it's just like yeah it's a real interesting journey and story and he um he goes so in in detail and yeah he did, and the research he did it for it is amazing so i love that one i love that story i love okja as well the movie again like for me as i say i watch like cowspiracy and i watch what the hell and i nod along and i kind of remember facts to tell my parents but it, it wouldn't change my mind it wouldn't move me the way okja would like that scene in okja where um the 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 pig um the big pig gives the baby pig to them to take away and hide and mm-hmm 
give it a new life it just breaks my heart and I think yeah the only way to for me to reach people is speaking from the heart speaking through yeah so I don't know I would say stories if you can tell them stories I see with some other questions um lots of lovely co um compliments obviously <laughs> um ultimate question from bex how can we get the whole world to go vegan oh my god <laughs> i feel bex so small 81. here um how can we get the whole world to be vegan um my my philosophy is definitely attractivism mm -hmm. live your best life be your best self do um, self-care is so important as a vegan like um yeah making sure you're happy i think it's so crucial to be a joyful vegan mm -hmm. Um, because otherwise you're just emitting bad vibes and, and you, as we've talked about, like giving a bad reputation for the lifestyle. So No one wants to join that party. No, no, they don't. <laughs> um, so I would say, yeah, um, self-care, look after yourself. And I would also say um, be an educated and knowledgeable vegan so that you can, you know, don't just tell people do this and don't do this. Tell them why so that they, they can then make it their experience and they can make it part of their world like rather than just i'm doing this because oh my girlfriend said i should oh, i'm doing this because my daughter made me feel bad about it it's like make them understand make them connect to it so yeah definitely that's not always the most fun part i, f I find it really boring lear boring learning about the environment environmental impact of veganism but you need it it's, it's important useful. One last question from the audience. So this is Warrior for Animals who says, Hey Ivana, I'm 16 years old and I'm a vegan in Australia. Um, my question is, do you think youth should be involved in this powerful movement more and can someone my age really make a difference? Ooh, yeah, great question. Um, yeah, of course, I think we're leading the movement. I think that's what's so exciting about it, that uh, young people are teaching their parents. As I said, I taught my parents. I'm opening their mind to it. Um, and I think... You know, so much of this this awareness is being spread through social media and through technology, and this is a language which we are far better versed in than our parents are. My mom can't send an email, you know. So, like, I think we should embrace that. Like, I love seeing all the YouTubers, all the bloggers. Like, my life has been made so much better from like you know beauty bloggers or we were just talking about the happy pair. I love their YouTube videos, um, that kind of Shout thing. Out to the happy pair boys. Yes, we love those. Um, so I think, um, yeah, it, it definitely raise your voice online if you believe in it. Um, make sure to spread that message. And I, um, yeah, it, it, I'm so excited for the youth to take over this. And that, that thing of showing your parents a way that they were so resistant to is is a real privilege and it it's such an amazing journey to go on in your relationship like me and my parents have so much more to talk about and i i love that i get to teach them yeah um last few questions for you um but just before we do my mum and dad have gone vegan at 60 oh which is crazy because i've been at it for five years okay. and my dad went vegan and not only is he vegan now he started a vegan yogurt company which is oh, just, I feel cool. like I've slipped into a parallel universe. <laughs> when I went home, my dad said he was vegan. I thought it was a joke. I thought he was oh honestly gosh. trolling me, but he's gone vegan. So when your parents kind of get it and get into it, like you say, it just feels so nice. I feel like I've kind of given them a gift of better health and, and just a, a, you know, a deeper understanding of their place in the world as human beings. Um, let's talk about gender and the vegan movement. So 
on our platform, about 86% of all the people that visit us are women. Mm-hmm. So our website gets up to about 800,000 people a month and 86% are women. So that's very interesting. However, when you look at the vegan movement, influencers. all influencers, they're all men. Isn't it funny? So why is that and how can we change that? Good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we found that too. Even like getting podcast guests on, we're like, why have we so many men? Um, I mean, I love seeing men in the movement too. I'm like, more power to you. And I think it's a shame that a lot of people see veganism as like quite a feminine thing. They think like, because yeah, it's about yeah compassion and sensitivity and and kindness and there's for some reason they're more associated with femininity but um so i love when i see men all different shapes and sizes get involved and 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 try and change that image um i don't know i suppose why why is that happening i suppose i mean as women i think and because i do think there's like a, a difference i think that um men definitely have more get up and go thing i think it's the t- testosterone i think it comes down to biology that they they feel this sense of all the men i know in my life they don't have as much self-doubt as as women do they don't ah right so where does that come from why are women why why in our culture and our society are women feel that self-doubt because obviously as you say men and women are capable of the same things but why do you think talk a bit about why do you think women have that natural self-doubt because it does it's present in our society women are paid less they're told to oh don't worry i'll do it i'm the man you know what Mm -hmm. i mean Um, i'll pay for dinner oh you know what i mean this kind of patriarchal society it's almost built in isn't it yeah 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 i mean yeah you women are definitely brought up apologizing more Mm -hmm. for who they are and i think about this a lot because i i I write about eating disorders a lot mostly mostly privately but sometimes like for other things as well and this this idea that you don't want to take up too much space that's what the eating disorder mindset is and i think a lot of women again mostly women get eating disorders because they have that thing of they don't want to be too big and be too loud whereas i don't know there's something about the male ego that they overcome that more they've they're more driven and yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but and they're also trained to not feel their feelings as much those things like yeah Robbie on Chick Peeps talks about it how he's he's gone on dates before and he'll say to the girl that he's vegan and she'll be like oh you know she'll see him as less masculine and it's it's stupid and he always then presents the argument that like no masculinity is about taking care of things of being a protector and as a vegan you're taking care of everything I don't know it's so hard to answer that question I realize I'm going on tangents but I think it's a difficult question I I do think women definitely just they they struggle with yeah self-doubt and and even my therapist gave me this challenge where um I found that I with everything I did I needed a second opinion on it and she was like okay just stop just with, with with your the next few days don't seek a second opinion and I found it so difficult I felt so vulnerable I felt so insecure and self-conscious and like even say on the chick peeps so I'm I'm kind of running the things but um Robbie my co-host he's very like assertive personality and sometimes I'll make a decision and he'll disagree with it and I'll feel so insecure and so destabilized and it will be I'll have to like go to Momo and Tyler tell me I'm right here you know and you know this is my kind of theories on men and women and boys and girls is that this is how we're trained this is how we're trained as children 
women are allowed to be emotional and and, and cry and and be kind of wig and soft and they're expected to be erratic and unpredictable and all that kind of stuff this is what you're kind of you put into this box yeah. and then men are expected to be logical and analytical and non-emotional and and rational right and we yeah. said boys like are like this women are like this boys wear this women wear this boys yeah. have these jobs women have these jobs and for 200,000 years of our history we've been forced into these two boxes which is absolutely a complete lie mm-hmm. as i said to tim you know in the last podcast gender is a beautiful rainbow and we're not taught that there's a rainbow you know we're all somewhere along that rainbow and that's how we express ourselves and how we dress how we behave but our modern society has created these two very like polar boxes and forced us into them most of us don't fit into these boxes do you feel though like as i mentioned do you feel like in our chemistry there are things that drive us more i do i do think that men are more prone to certain behaviors based on chemistry because of evolution so for 200,000 years of our history most of human history we've men and women have done very different things different roles men have been protectors go out and hunt women have been in homes in the village stay and look after the children women have been the nurturers the carers the the caretakers the the crafters and the makers and the men have been the builders and the seekers and the hunters and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so our brains our physical biology and physical chemistry for so long has created that now we live in this modern world where we don't need to worry about any of that we're living in we're living with primordial bodies in a totally different alien environment this is why we've got things like obesity and all these health problems because you know what we eat is completely different to 99.999 percent of our history Mm. um but just bringing it back again to like humanity and gender and who we are as people what what does it mean to be human to you what does it mean to be human big old question Oh God, I might just be very simple and say to love and be loved. I love that. I think I think love is at the core of everything we do, as I said, both good and bad things and it's what makes it worth living and um yeah, that's how to me that is my religion, like being being and I don't mean in just in the romantic sense, but being in love with people and falling in love with things about them and I had that like um my ex-boyfriend was quite religious and I remember trying so hard to get back into that religious mindset and understand it and I realized you know he'd be talking about communion with God and I was like no I find God through loving other people like not not something abstract that I can't you know that's in me or in the universe or nature it's like finding something about somebody else that I absolutely love and that just like makes me grow and makes me expand and so yeah I think it's all about love amazing Ivana thank you so much for being on the PBN podcast it's a pleasure to have you challenging me pleasure great thank you thanks everyone for listening in Um, we'll be back next week with uh, more veganism life health fitness and everything in between